Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Kevin Burke, thank you so much for being my guest on the on the Mike Litton Experience. I cannot thank you enough for your time. I'm so incredibly humbled to have you here, and I appreciate you being here, man. I like we talked about before we hit record. Everybody has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. So, with your permission, what we're going to do is we're going to start with where you were born, and then we're going to go through your life story all the way up to today, and then we can talk about anything that you'd like to talk about. I know you're the head of legal affairs for for the California Association of Realtors, and I'm just absolutely honored that you made the time to be here with us. I, I am I'm humbled by your comment. That's amazing. I've I've never had anybody say all that, but thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. I really am. This is a, a great experience for me, uh, and uh, hopefully I can uh, help you know with what I have to say. But uh, yeah, I am uh, the chair of legal affairs for the state of California, the California Association of Realtors next year. And last year I was chair of their risk management and uh, consumer protection uh, uh, forum. And so I've just been honored by them. I don't know why they picked me. I I always kind of figured that they must have picked somebody else and then they couldn't show up. So then they called me and said, can you sit in for them? And, and, so you're and the but, default? <laughs> yeah, but it last all the other meetings. Right. And so uh, apparently I present well. So uh, uh, no. So you, you said, uh, but you said I can only have an hour. So I have to try to whittle it down here for you. So um, born in uh, Brunswick, Georgia, uh, St. Okay. Simon's Island, Navy family. Uh, and uh, dad was a Navy guy. He was in military intelligence, so I really don't remember a lot of him in my early days. Uh, I left home when I was 14, so I was very young. A lot of people are surprised to hear that. Did you um, grow up uh, in, that, in that area? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, that was, uh, where was uh, 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 Phoenix, Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay, so, so you know, when did we you move to Scottsdale? You know, we're Navy, so, you know, oh, all, over, all over, okay. yeah, all over the place. Okay. So, uh uh, 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 Scottsdale, Arizona, um, left home. I was in a, uh, I was in a, a high school, uh, that was a, a Jesuit college preparatory school. Okay. Um, and, uh, um, and interestingly enough, I just lived far enough away that I couldn't keep riding my bike the 15 miles each way. And so, so uh, I ended up moving in uh, with a, a small family. I had a nice little, you know, room I could come and go. Um, and, and then I realized I had to pay my way for stuff. So uh, I started a parking company when I was 15. Um, and so I, I didn't realize that I shouldn't have been driving all those years. Right. I just, cause I kind of figured everybody did that. Yeah. Um, and so I started a parking company and I started out with one restaurant and, uh, ultimately, and I was using that to fund my way through school because I, I really knew even at that age, I knew the importance of a good education and the education there was just off the charts. I and mean, it was really incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, I ended up doing uh, running that parking company for about 10 years, wow. um, made my first million before I graduated high school, um, had 14 restaurants, uh, 130 employees, and uh, 
I don't know. I thought everybody did that, right? And so, so, you, so your service valeted cars? Yeah, parking cars. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was 14 restaurants. I ended up with 14. I didn't start with 14. I started with one and then sure. ended up with a whole bunch of them. And and uh, it just worked out really well. And so, uh, you know, but I knew, you know, after uh, graduating from high school that, uh, you know, I didn't want to do that the rest of my life because I kind of figured that, you know, it'd be kind of like being an elevator man, I guess, and you know, in New York, you know, where, where uh, you know, it'd be one of those things that you just can't retire from. And so I, I did other stuff. I was involved in a lot of things. You know, I, I had my share of stuff that is not on record, but uh, I got my real estate license a couple of years later. Um, and um, I, I didn't do college right away. And, and my, my father always told me, he said, you know, he said, you got to go back and get a degree. And I said, dad, I'm making more money than you are. I mean, right. it was like, you know, as a kid, you know, I'm making more money. So um, I ended up um, um, getting a real estate license, a little rocky start to begin with. I, I actually went um, to work with uh, the sister of a gal that I was dating at the time. And uh, she was going to show me the ropes and tell me everything that happened in real, you know, what to do in real estate and all that kind of stuff. So literally, this was before cell phones, before fax machines. This is 1979, right? So right. very, very early. Um, and so uh, what I did was I learned how to answer telephones. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, because that's what she did. She planted me in the office, let me answer phones. And so I really never learned anything. And so um, so I figured, you know, that's not going to work out really well. And of course, by that point, the girlfriend threw me out of the house. And, and uh, so I was homeless there for a little while. But but. Uh, um, you know, I ended up um, going, uh, gravitating. I, I, I did ultimately go back to get a, my degree. Uh, uh, I got a degree at Arizona State. And okay. so, so you're uh, a Sun Devil. Uh, yeah, yeah, Sun Devil. Um, yeah, well, and then later I ended up in Tucson and I ended up in graduate school at Tucson uh, for okay. the JD PhD program, okay. um, which was a, a, a Juris Doctor and a uh, PhD in psychology. And so, uh, um, but at the same time, I started doing real estate and it wasn't long before I opened up my own office, right? Because I'm just one of those overachiever kind of guys, task oriented overachiever, opened up my own office, had about 40 people and and uh, we were killing it. I mean, we were just yeah. doing really, really well. And so- This is in Arizona, right? This, yeah, I'm still in Arizona. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I just, you know, and, and so every weekend I'm driving back and forth to San Diego, right. Cause I just had this thing for San Diego. I had like 68,000 miles on my car in one year and yeah. I was just going back and forth. Right. And yeah. so, uh, finally I said, this is crazy. And so I walk into a real estate office in Claremont Mesa of all places. Um, and there's this guy, I remember who he was actually, and this was in the mid eighties. And, and I said to him, and he was from Tucson, Arizona. And oh. so, you know, so he's talking about a small world, right. And so I said, so how, you know, um, you know, what's the difference between real estate in Tucson and, and real estate here in San Diego. And he, and he looks at me and he goes, there's more zeros in my paycheck. And I went, <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I've never forgotten that. I love <laughs> more zeros because, you know, I'm doing 100, 125 transactions a year, right? From, yeah. you know, out of the chute. Right. Um, and, and people would ask me, and I was going to every educational opportunity I could possibly go to. Um, and then people would ask me, they would say, how are you doing all these deals? And I go, I thought everybody did all these deals. Remember, I always thought everybody could drive a car at 14 or at 11, actually. Um, and so I just kept doing it. I didn't, nobody told me I wasn't supposed to be able to do this stuff, right? So I just did it. Um, and uh, and again, it was a, it was great. And, and so then I did. I moved over to uh, uh, San Diego. I got rid of uh, the Tucson connection and uh, I let them run it. I mean, I had all my people there. I let them go ahead and run it. So and there I ended up in San Diego. And so I, I just do the same thing. You know, I, I became president of the uh, North County Association shortly after I got here. 
Uh, and uh, uh, then, uh, let's see, 2019, I was president of the San Diego Association. I'm one of the few guys that were actually president of more than one local association. And, and it's like, I always tell everybody, I just missed the meeting where they were asking for volunteers. And so, you know, they just put me in place. And so I ended up doing it. And it, it was a pretty good ride. But education has always been my thing. And the reason I moved from one association to the other was because I just wanted to teach. I knew that. Um, I was teaching in three colleges uh, pretty much simultaneously. I was teaching at San Diego Community and Miracosta and UCSD right. in their real estate programs. And yeah. so, you know, it's just because because I had learned a lot of stuff. And so I think right around that time, let's see, this was uh, uh, mid, uh, late 90s because I had just got my law degree, right? I, I graduated, I got the American Jurisprudence Award in real estate transactions. So, you know, if you're an attorney, you know that that's like a really big deal, right? So, right. but uh, um, most people don't even know what that is you know they know what law school is right but yes right. and i did graduate and i was proud to do it um but i just knew that my bug was teaching and so uh i, I had been in real estate for a long time my goal had been to graduate and become an environmental attorney so i got a graduate degree in hazardous materials management while i was waiting to get into law school and and then i just knew my last semester i wasn't going to practice so mm. you know the, the, the my credentials that i had at that point i thought wow why don't i just stay in real estate and if i tell you mike my business quadrupled i mean it went off the charts from right after I graduated. All my clients ended up becoming doctors, lawyers, engineers, all the people that nobody else wants to work with. Mm -hmm. They were just kind of like attracted to me for some weird reason. And so I just continued to do a ton of transactions. And, and you know, but my goal was always helping people, not with any any care at all for like price range. I, I never cared how much it was. I did in one year, I did a four two. $4.2 million transaction uh, on a house, but I also did a $95,000 double wide. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, I don't care. And yeah. I always figured that my job was to help the homeless. I wanted to help the people that were either homeless already to find housing or, or help them become homeless by selling their house. And so, uh, um, so with the, with the college classes, I was teaching, you know, at the same time doing all that, still doing a lot of transactions. This is before teams and stuff. Right. So, uh, um, I was doing really, really well. And so, um, and again, I'm just helping people. I, I I never looked at the money. I always looked at how many units I was doing, you know, how many yeah. transactions, how many people was I helping uh, without any care at all about the money? Because I kind of discovered early in my career that the money comes anyway. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I don't care. It's going to come. I mean, I live that today, even still, you know, it, it's going to be there. Um, I, I have clients I can't get rid of, frankly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, they just, they hang in there. So, so it's kind of cool. So uh, for, for about 15, years I was teaching in the colleges I was teaching um, uh, the real estate uh, program you know mm -hmm. the the various things mostly the legal stuff right because I got to have my law degree so everybody felt like like I knew something and, and I, I use all the big words and stuff so uh, um, uh, and then finally I stopped teaching in the colleges uh, I only teach now at UCSD I teach uh, continuing education for attorneys okay. so um, I teach real property law and it's MCLE credit uh, stuff and uh and I love it, um, but I'd really rather be standing in front of a room full of people and talking. Yeah. Um, but I've ended up, uh, I've been relegated now to webinars, you know, that kind of thing. And so, yeah. um, but I can be anywhere in the world and I have been, and I am right now. I'm not in San Diego at the moment. And, and uh, I could tell you, I'm in Virginia. I have a broker's license in Virginia. I've got a broker's license in California and, and uh, I teach in both states. I'm 
accredited instructor in, in uh, Virginia as well. And so that was just always my passion. So I never stopped. I've been teaching the continuing education for attorneys for about 25 years now. Wow. Um, and so people are like, I, I look back and I go, where, where did that go? Right. 25 yeah. years of that happiness. And so, you know, I always loved it because I get into a class. My, my, my wife was in my real estate classes um, and of course she saw, you know, how I behaved and all that kind of, this is before we ever got together, but, but, and then she came up and wanted to sit in on one of my law classes up at the university. And when I got done, she comes up to me, she looks at me, she says, I don't know who you are. I mean, you're a completely different guy. She says, you know, you're in the real estate class and you've got a lot of energy and you're moving around, you're telling jokes and everybody's laughing. We're having a great time and learning a lot of things. Right. I make it interesting. Um, but then you go to law class and she says, you're abusive to those people. I said, they're lawyers, you know? you know right so i'm getting even <laughs> you know so i joke about that but uh taking, um, taking out your taking out your frustrations on them yeah, aren't you? Out my frustrations. <laughs> so you know the 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 morph of all of that is that today um i am i'm obviously bi-coastal i go back and forth uh very frequently um and uh i continue to teach and that's my passion and so um i've i've learned recently how to do a lot of things like qr codes and bitly links and stuff like that and mm -hmm. and uh even today i was buying software because i fancied myself doing podcasts and stuff but but i've done a lot of talks for the department the california department of real estate and i love the department of real estate they've been so good to me right so they they approved my uh purchase agreement class, my RPA class, they approved my buyer representation class. And of course, and, and my life is all about timing, you know, all of a sudden, the Burnett decision comes down in, right. in, uh, you know, in the Midwest there. And, and it's like, everybody wants to talk to me about the buyer representation agreement, something I've been trying to sell people for 25 years. Right. And when I say sell, I mean, just get them to use it, right. Yeah. And so um, I always say, when you define your duty, you limit your liability. And so, mm -hmm. uh, that form defines what your duty is. And, and yeah. so you're going to tell them what you do. But if you don't tell them and you don't have a written agreement with them, you really don't even have a client. You've just got right. a customer. So, right. uh, you know, and and uh, they don't become a client until they have a written agreement. So I just always felt like we were deceiving people by telling them that that they were our client when, in fact, they weren't. I mean, we, we have an agency relationship with them, but we but we're not, you know. And then, and then of course, now today, I do a lot of trial work as an expert witness. And so right. I get hired by attorneys to come in and do, you know, mostly defense work. Um, but but that's my thing. And, and so I read through files and things and I do DRE audits and stuff. You know, I, I look through, you know, you know, you know, they're going to they're going to see the fact you don't have a beginning and an ending date on the listing agreement and that you could right. possibly lose your license for that. Right. I mean, right. so there's a lot of really great things. And, and I was really proud because when they when they called me up and they said, you know, will you do a podcast with us on legal matters and documentation in a real estate transaction? And I thought, wow, me? I mean, what about the other guy? You know, that kind of thing. And they said, no, you're the forms expert. You know, you know this stuff better than anybody does. And I was just so proud of that. And, yeah. and uh, I, I went to the, uh, up to the commissioner, um, um, it rings anywhere else and my wife can get through and you know nobody else can but everybody else's do not disturb but she gets through so right. i'm gonna pay for putting her in a voicemail right. <laughs> but anyway um so um i went up to the commissioner at a meeting we had in sacramento and i said uh, i said you know we're in the same business you know i'm i'm chair of realtor risk management and consumer protection mm -hmm. and and i said you're the department of real estate you're the commissioner you're all about consumer protection that's mm -hmm. what they're there to do right yeah. and so um so 
I've always said that uh, I always want to be on the right side of the guns and badges, right? So I always want to be on the right side. When the bullets are going, I want them coming behind me, right? I don't want to be having to face it. So, um, so I've, uh, you know, and he said, yeah, I get what you're saying. Consumer protection. We're both in that same game. And I said, we need to remember that when we do real estate transactions, we really need to remember. And, you know, they made an interesting comment to me. And, and again, I know I'm rambling, but they made an interesting comment. They said the, the number one complainant that they have that, so the, 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 the majority of the population that files a complaint at the Department of Real Estate are first-time home buyers, mm-hmm. and I said that just so saddens me. It really does. That means yeah. that means that we're either not explaining things to the first-time home buyer, or we don't know, and and we don't know the answer to the question. And I keep trying to tell people it's okay to say I don't know. Right. I mean, people are waiting for me to say it. They re- get their phone up and record it and all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, sometimes we just don't know. But mm-hmm. but you need, to, you need to address it. You need to acknowledge the question. And then you need to tell them, you know what, let me find out and I'll get back to you. Well, you need to be willing to admit that you don't know the answer. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's I owned a Keller Williams office for 18 years. I think I told you this. I was a broker owner of the office. Yeah. And one of the things that I experienced was, they just were so unbelievably embarrassed to say that they didn't know the answer. And so one of the things we did in all of our trainings, Kevin, was Mm -hmm. we encouraged them to actually say, you know what, that's a great question. I don't know the answer, but I will get you the answer. Okay. You hit it. You hit it. Because they've got to be comfortable saying it in training so that they can say it in an open house or they can say it when they're showing property or they can say it when they're in front of a client. For some reason, they're in front of a client and they become a different person. I yeah. just interviewed I just interviewed a gentleman last night who wrote his first book, and it's a book called Relentless Sales. And one of the things that he talks about, he's actually in, in the medical device field, and he goes out, he's been a, a manager for a number of years, he goes out with his reps, and his reps go into, one of his reps is just this, just this kid that's got this world-class personality that everybody dearly loves, the kid walks into a doctor's office in front of the client and becomes a different person uh-huh. entirely. And so they come out of the appointment and he said, look, you've got to be yourself. And I found myself, Kevin, coaching him on what I would do is ask him this question. What's holding you back from being yourself in that appointment? What is it about being in front of a client that gives you that trepidation to where you don't feel like you can be you? Yeah. Right. Because there's something holding them up. Right. And I mean, I know I'm talking, I'm preaching to the choir because you have a doctorate in psychology and all that. But the thing is, the thing is, it's a real thing. It's a real issue. And the and the consumers, Kevin, you hit it right on the head. The consumers are the ones that are paying the price. Yeah. 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 And if you look at that at that lawsuit, and I, I don't want to get too far into it because I don't give yeah. legal advice, but yeah. but you know, frankly, it had to do with the the uh, lack of disclosure or lack of clarity on where does the money go. Right. I mean, you look at it, and and I, it, you know, my my personal opinion, you know, the appeals got filed immediately. I mean, it's going to be years before we know what that's going to look like. Right. Um, I've had people tell me the real estate industry is over. I mean, it's like, really? I mean, you know, no, and, there are other other countries are looking at us as the model. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, and California being a country, I mean, people are looking at California as a model, right? And so, uh, 
Um, but it's interesting because because it's the the they're the antithesis of of Virginia. So in California, it's um, it's, a, it's a caveat vendor, which means let the seller beware. Right. In 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 Virginia, it's caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. No Fire disclosures will. of any kind. But when you're in California, you got to tell them everything, right? Yeah. And so it's just fascinating to me that I did a transaction, and again, I'm brokered in both. But I did a transaction in California. The the gal was a, a licensee in Virginia. And she just got her California license, her very first transaction with me. She says, oh, my God, I've never seen so much paperwork. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I'm the Forbes guy, right? So right. she had everything. She knew everything was going on the, but before the end of the first day. I mean, it was just yeah. great. So uh, I'm thankful that I'm in California. I mean, I really am. And and, and so I, I, I think that raises your learning curve much faster um, mm -hmm. than, than you would maybe in other states where they're much more casual about things. So yeah, I agree with that. And I... You know, I have to tell you that I, in the 18 years that I owned that Keller Rams office, I spent way too much time in court. And I mean, way too much time in court. Um, and I, I sat, I sat in a small claims court in Vista, uh, North County, right? I sat in small claims one day and we won our case hands down. It wasn't even close. Okay. And apparently we finished too early because the judge decided that he was going to spend the next 20 some minutes excoriating me on how our laws are so unbelievably favored towards the buyer yeah. and not towards the seller. In other words, the pendulum's gone too far to the buyer side, right? In terms of protection. Well, that comes as a reaction to what we used to have, which was which were which were laws that favored the seller much more, right? right. Right. The legislature was try has been trying to correct it, and they've been correcting it. They might have overcorrected. He spent twenty minutes absolutely excoriating me about real estate law, and I finally just said to him, "I said, Your Honor, I'm really sorry that you feel this way. If I was the governor, or if I was, you know, the Speaker of the House, or something, I might be able to help you. But I'm just a broker, sir, and I'm just doing what Carr is telling me to do. Right? Yeah, I'm using yeah. the forms. That, you know, I'm following the laws that were passed. So. Yeah. You know, it's it's a frustrating thing for people. And this buyer broker agreement, this buyer representation agreement is a real is a real subject with me. It's something that for 30 plus years that I've been doing this, I have been teaching people about how important it is to have a written agreement with a buyer before you ever even put them in your car because of liability, because of clarification, because of and the thing is. What people fear the most, Kevin, is what they don't know, okay? And what these realtors don't understand and what they don't know is that when they sit with a client and they are prospective client and they actually fill out the paperwork with them and that client signs on the line that's dotted to a person, they will tell you afterwards that that was when their, that was when their anxiousness dropped. That was when they relaxed. That was when they knew that they had a, a contractual relationship with that practitioner and they could now go forward in good faith. Okay. That is, I, that is so unbelievably important mm -hmm. in terms of what you're talking about in terms of clarification, right. And giving them a solid foundation and a solid footing in terms of how they feel about working with that real estate professional. Sure. 
and and the standard that we follow, um, yep. the, the standard of care, that's my expertise at trial is standard yep. of care of the real estate agent. And so I look at it, I teach when I teach the teach the lawyers what the liquidated damages provision means, it takes me a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. But I've I've rarely had any real estate agent ever be able to explain it to me. Right. I mean, correctly, right? right? I mean, you know, I, I I can I can see it like I'm reading Miranda, right? I mean, it's just, you know, I can see the, the and, and I've never had anybody explain it to me, right? And so I just, I worry about that. I mean, I'm yeah, like, okay. So I always say that the time to read the contract the first time is not when you're sitting in front of the client. Right. I, I think you need to be going to classes. And again, you and I, we're, we're of the same ilk on that. But but I think that we have such a, an opportunity uh, to do well and to help people uh, mm-hmm. that that and I think we blow it. I think we we get you know sometimes we get like like the longer that they're in in business, the the more they think they know. And we know that there are time you know when you hit two years, this is how you're going to act. And when you hit five, and then when you hit ten years, then now you try to recycle yourself and start over. But right. uh, you know it's just interesting to me. There are so many educational opportunities um, that are out there, and then people just don't take advantage of them. Um, yeah. And so and I think that's really sad. Um, my my RPA class, my residential purchase agreement class, is five hours long. Sure. I mean, and and it's not enough time. And so you know, I, That's I a wrote a document. That's a long document, Kevin. It's 16 pages of happiness. And then, yeah. and then, and then that's before you get to the ancillary forms, right? right. You know, all the right. uh, document addendums and disclosures. Oh, and yeah, absolutely. Right. And people say to me, because I have the one page purchase agreement, I, I actually have it on my desk. Um, I, I just got to figure out a place to put it. I think I'm going to put it on a wall, but, but you know, 1971 copyright, right? And oh. so I tell everybody, I say right here in the middle, this is why we have 16 pages today. And this right. is, it says, you know, here's, here's the terms of the contract. And we were writing the terms of the contract and yeah. we were practicing law. Yeah. That's, against the law right? right and so we were we were telling people that we were creating documentation that would be binding on the parties and enforceable and all that kind of stuff we were writing our own stuff and yeah. so you know uh the the department of real estate by by your virtue of your license they give you the right to explain the standard form mm-hmm. right and so um so car said about the task of okay well you're writing in language about you know seller replace all bent and broken window screens and we're just going to put it in the contract and right. so they created the language that that worked and so that's why you see this thing go like you know went from what one page to two to four to eight right. and then and then it went to ten and yeah. everybody's like would you get it back to six and it's like yeah. it is never going to happen right. <laughs> so, and, and now today we're at 16 and by the way the, the between that and, and the buyer representation agreement i think it's a stroke of genius I mean, I look at the form like like the current purchase agreement, it reads like a, a grid, right? Paragraph number three, it's all a grid. And and I remember because I did a presentation for the Department of Real Estate four hours. They wanted me to explain the RPA to them. And so I did a presentation for them. And, and I said, here's our biggest fear is, is that the real estate agent will stop at the end of page three, right? Because paragraph three ends at page three. That's intentional. We did that on purpose. Um, and so, you know, so the, the problem is we put up at the beginning of three, this this form has 16 pages right. you know you were advised to read all 16 pages right. and so and so i had a laugh i said I, I we should put in there and you the realtor should read all 16 pages right yeah. i mean because you really because it's an amazing document yeah. um and uh you know i have people calling me up on the forum or calling me on, on the phone and, and and they'll ask me a question and i'll say well what does paragraph 5b say and they go 5b what's that you go well right. you go take a look at it and if you still have a question give me a holler yeah. right then they go back and they read it they go oh my 
my God, I get it, right? Yeah. But you got to go past page three. Right, the right? answer is actually so, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because the way we the way they did it, I'm, I'm not going to you know David Kerr is an amazingly bright man. Um, uh, so he put the to, with his task force, they put this together. Anyway, they at page after page three, there's nothing to do. Yeah. Right. And so that's why the, people stop. And it's like, no, you need to start. Right. Because because the rest of it is is what explains paragraph number three. So right. so just little stuff like that. But I, I get so um, uh, somebody said to me last night on the phone, she, they said uh, I did a two hour presentation yesterday on the buyer representation agreement, right, a webinar. And so this gal goes to a brokerage. She says, this guy is amazing talking about me. He says he he talked for two hours and didn't take a breath. And and the, and the broker responded because he calls me on the phone. He's a super guy. And and he responded. He says uh, that's because he loves what he does and he's enthusiastic yeah. about it and he wants to principally help people. You know, I teach the code of ethics, yeah. uh, and and that broker happens to be the only other instructor who teaches the code of ethics. And I said we always want to trust people that teach the code of ethics, True. right? I mean we have a code that we follow. So so, uh, but I do, I get passionate about it. And and I think that, I don't think real estate is that difficult. Uh, real estate is easy. Comedy is hard. You know, it's that kind of a thing. So, uh, but, uh, you know, we live in a great time and, and, uh, and, and we, there's so much opportunity for people to do things the right way and, yeah. and, and hopefully do them the right way the first time. And so um, I, my, my phone normally rings, people are in trouble for something and, and mm -hmm. they're, and they're trying to figure out how to get out of it or, right. or they'll start the sentence off with, I know the law says, and I say, hold on right there. I'm not going to help you break the law. I mean, it's just not my thing. Right. right. Uh, and so, uh, but, but it's interesting. We, we, uh, it's a great time. I, I don't, what is this, uh, you know, market conditions. I, I'm also an expert witness on market, you know, specifically San Diego County and people are complaining about the market. I said, well, you probably complain in any market, right? I mean, yeah. it's like, it's your personal market. Well, I, you know, here's, so having done this for 31 years in February, it'll be 32. Okay. To say that I've seen different markets is a is an understatement, right? Yeah. When I got in the business in 1992, interest rates had just come from 10% down to nine and a half, yeah. 30 year fixed, okay? Right. And everybody was screaming that deflation's coming and all this other stuff. And we literally went into, in 1992, an honest to goodness real estate depression in San Diego. You know, okay. the Clinton yeah. administration was trying to, um, to, was trying to cash in on the, on the peace dividend, they were slashing, literally slashing um, defense budgets like there was no tomorrow. They were trying to balance the budget, all these types of wonderful things, right? And what happened was we had so many defense contractors here. And I mean, there were a lot of people here that worked for the defense industry here in San Diego, concentrated here. And all of a sudden, one day they were, they pulled the plug and they went to Texas or yeah. they went to Louisiana or they went to Georgia, right? And they left here like that. Yeah. And we had to sell a lot of houses to a very small number of people that were that were coming in, right? That, I mean, we didn't have what we have today, which is this sort of upside down inventory situation. Right. And so I remember times when there were the average time on market was six months. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, the average time on market is 34 days and people are losing their minds because yes. a lot of them, Kevin, have been in the business in the last six years. That's yes. all they know, right? And I'm working with people, no joke, that have not been in the business, have not been in the business before 2008. They were in the business after it, okay? And the idea of another recession hitting, a lot of people have PTSD about that. Mm -hmm. And so they're thinking the other shoe's going to drop any minute. 
I've got a buddy of mine that's one of the top economic, one of the top traders. He, he, he's a fund manager um, on Wall Street, and he's one of the top brains in on Wall Street, right? 43 years he and I have been have been friends. Last year, he predicted that we were going into a recession when those when Silicon Valley Bank and those other three, four banks failed. Yep. He absolutely thought that that lending was going to be constricted rapidly. Right. And it was going to force us into another recession. And he was wrong. It didn't happen. And he he openly admits it. We've interviewed him twice now for our podcast. He openly admits it. The thing is, people are waiting for this shoe to drop. They're waiting for this great recession to happen. And it's it doesn't look like to me fundamentally that it's going to happen. It doesn't look like to me that we're in the same place we were in in 2008. But here's the thing. Even if we do go into a recession, you have any idea how many recessions I've been through in my career? Yeah. It's not the end of the world, yeah. right? There are people that are wanting to jump into your silo in Arizona, right? I mean, yeah. it's crazy, <laughs> right? It's yeah. crazy. So it, anyway, it really it's, just, it's just, it's a whole, mu- a whole lot to do about very little, right? I, I was knocking on doors in the 80s when interest rates were at 24. Yeah. Um, and they had just dropped to 12. Yeah. Um, and I remember knocking on a woman's door and I remember where it was. And I remember asking her, you know, have you refined your home? No. And I said, well, what's your interest rate right now? She says 24%. I says, why don't you, they're at 12. Why don't you mm-hmm. refi? If she goes, cause I don't trust banks. And yeah. I said, well, you trusted them at one point. Cause you got a 24% interest rate. Right. Could you imagine dropping? And, and so then, and, and you've been around a long time. I mean, you, you've been with this in the day when we had interest rates under three yeah. and then, and then having people say, I mean, God, whatever, what, what is a single digit, you know, uh, interest rate? That's crazy. Uh, exactly. And it's still that, right. Yeah. But, but, you know, people are you know saying, uh, well, we're, we're going to wait for the interest rates to go down. And I'm like, to what? Right. right. I mean, it's like, what are you waiting for? That's just an excuse. Right. So, you know, I, I want to go work with people that actually want to find housing. And so, um, but, but you're right. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Here's what's, here's what's interesting to me. Okay. If you look at the market back when interest rates were three and four percent, okay, people were overbidding, and I was trying to buy a house for my family. No joke. When all this was going down, and I, we found a house, my wife and I, in an area where she had grown up, not far from where her her my father in law, her dad lives right now, and he's getting older, and we wanted to be closer to him. Okay, so we found this house. No joke, Kevin. This house needed to be fixed stem to stern. It was completely outdated. Like the, the most, the most updated thing was a kitchen that had been, uh, that had been remodeled 20 years ago. I'm not joking. Okay. We put in an offer just above the list price. I think I was 20,000 above the list price. Do you know that I was, that house went for $181,000 above list price and there were 12 offers. Yeah. There were 12 offers. And it was at that moment that I knew that we were not going to be buying a pre-owned home. We were going to be buying a new one. And we did. We bought a new home, moved in, the whole thing. And what's what's fascinating to me is back when interest rates were so low, money was practically free. Okay. Wow. And people were throwing it around like there was no tomorrow. Right. No joke. Right. Today, you're not seeing that same run-up. You're not seeing, you're literally seeing sellers willing to give a credit for flooring they're willing to give a credit for closing costs they're willing to help the buyer qualify that you have not seen in years right and i mean in years okay right now is the time to buy negotiate get what you can 
And then when interest rates drop, just refinance and drop your interest rate. In, in my expert opinion, that is correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we're we're pretty clueless in San Diego. I mean, it's it's always been the economy has always been what's happening to other people in other parts of the world. Um, and uh, I've been through four major changes in economy, none of which Im impacted my business at all. Yeah. I mean, I always I just continued to help people. There's always people out there that wanted help. And, and, and I always found a lot of pride in that. And I, and I joked about getting rid of clients. You know, I love my clients. I've got a guy that's done 23 transactions with me. I mean, he's just, you know, and, and I got him because, you know, because he had called the listing agent on a property in Del Mar, a little condo, and the guy wouldn't return his call because it was only a $77,000 condo, right? right? And so I went ahead and, and, you know, I said, well, come on in the office, I'll chat with you. 23 deals later, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's like, wow, he's buying a $77,000 condo. But then, you know, years later, we're doing 2 million, you know, all that kind of stuff. So take care of people, yeah. not because of what you're going to get at, not because of the money. You right. take care of people because of the feeling that you get. Yeah. Um, I've got a, a property right now that that I've been handling as a rental. I couldn't believe it's 25 years. You know, I don't do, I don't do property management, right? But, but I do, I do coach property management companies, but, but um, you know, this guy, I started renting his place out for 1200 a month. I mean, it's got creosote hanging from the ceiling and all, you know, it's just a neat place, 1200 a month. And now he's at like 5,800 a month. And it's yeah. just, you know, over that period of time, you know, but, but, it, and, and he says, you're my guy, I'm not going anywhere else. And, and I ended up with him because his guy from before just stopped communicating with me. You've got to talk to people. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that our biggest fear is I believe you really have to stick your head in the mouth of the lion. I think that that uh, our our thing is that you know things are going to happen in a real estate transaction. You've got to know that they're going to happen. But but your job is to help people, um, and not hide from it. And right. and where I see the litigation that that I'm involved in, the you know all, all of which is always somebody else's, right? But but uh, which I'm proud of that too, right? But mm -hmm. uh, um, you know I got to tell you, it's it's usually because you stop talking to them. You mm -hmm. know, it's like you know you 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 didn't want to you know you thought they were angry with you. Well, they're going to get angry. They're going to get angrier if, they, right. if you don't at least talk with them. But if you're talking with them, then then uh, I find that that you can always find a solution. But once you cut that off, you're in trouble. There's yeah, going to be a you're problem. going to court. It's that simple. Yeah, you, yeah you've got the, uh, the, we call them the cocktail attorney, right? You know, you're yeah. at a cocktail party and, and and somebody said, I had one where the agent had told the seller, you the law requires a, a, a termite clearance. There's no such thing. It's a wood destroying organism clearance, right? So, uh, and, and there's no such law, by the way. And mm -hmm. so she told her seller that there was one. And so he ends up bagging the house and paying all this money to do all this stuff. And we never, even, I represented the buyer and, and we never even asked for it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, later on, of course, you know, a year later, you know, he's off at a cocktail party and he finds out there is no such law. And so, you know, we have paragraph 12B1C, which is the paragraph in the purchase agreement that addresses wood destroying organisms. It's the buyer's, the buyer's job is to investigate. The, right. the agent's job is only to do a reasonably competent, diligent visual inspection of the accessible area of the property. That came out of the Easton case, and you kind of right. referred to it a minute ago. Yep. That was when a lot of things really changed to, to make it more of a, a seller disclosure issue uh, rather right. than, you know, the buyer, you figure it out. You know, I don't have to tell you what, you know, you've got to have to find out for yourself. Well, no. So, so the seller's duty is only to disclose the seller, what they knew or should have known. They, they, right. they don't investigate their own 
own property. That's the buyer's job. Right. And I've had buyers say, you know, well, I figured that the seller, you know, the seller's duty of disclosure and the agent's duty to inspect and disclose would satisfy my uh, uh, requirement to investigate the property. You're, you're protected by civil code. You needed to do that. And you chose yeah. not to do it. And even our forms, if you've read the AVID, the bottom of the AVID form, page one, it even says, you know, that, that you know, that's your job. You're investigating the property. And so I, I, I here, here, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I'm seeing now the litigation and I'm, I, I didn't tell you, but I'm also chair of the expert witness forum uh, next year at, at CAR. Um, and we're seeing lawsuits uh, from the transactions where the buyers were going in, removing contingencies at the time of the offer, including the investigation contingency and things like that. And so, um, and now they're, they're like, well, the seller didn't tell me this was wrong with the house. And, and if I had had an inspection done of the house, then I would have known about it. And of course, you know, somebody told me I didn't have to do one and, and, or you didn't have a contingency. I wrote an offer for a Navy SEAL. I do a lot of military and, and uh, this guy's super guy, really like him, his family, wonderful family. And, and I wrote an offer for him on a property and a seller's agent says, you know, we're only taking non-contingent offers. And so I went to my buyer and I said, they said they're only taking non-contingent offers, right? Always quote the source. Mm -hmm. So I said, they're taking only taking non-contingent offers. And he says, well, uh, okay. And I said, I don't think you should do that. I, mean, I right. recommend against you doing that. And besides, Besides your VA, you can't be non-contingent. I mean, there's you have your mandatory clause, you've got things like that, you know. And so uh, he says, I don't care, I want the house. And I went, okay. So and anyway, I had him sign off on forms and stuff so he knew what he was doing. But and then I called the seller's agent uh, two days into the transaction and I said, uh, uh, we've got the physical inspection scheduled for Thursday. And so, and this guy's the broker. And he says, uh, he says, uh, you don't have a physical inspection contingency. I says, I understand that, but we're still going to do a physical inspection. Right. And, and he goes, let me get back to you. And so, of course, he doesn't call me back, right? What he does is he sends me an email that says, go ahead and do your, your inspection, right? Uh, because you, the buyer may waive the contingency, but they don't waive their right to do the investigation of the property. Absolutely. Absolutely you still not. want yeah. to do that. And so, and they, sh and and they and should. He, yeah, I know he called his attorney and his attorney said, oh yeah, don't mess with that. Let the buyer do the investigation of the property. And the buyer did. And the funny part was that the seller ended up agreeing to do $20,000 worth of work. I think the seller wasn't aware that he only wanted non-contingent offers. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, sometimes it happens where the, the message from the agent you know, doesn't always come through in pure form. Well, we actually talked about this yesterday. I interviewed a, a lender um, who who does, and, I, and I'm super proud of him. He's doing he's doing um, he's doing seminars for realtors, and he's doing seminars for buyers. Okay, and part of the reason he's doing it is realtors need to hear how this stuff works. They need to hear why this is so important. And he literally talked about what you're talking about right now. And he, what he said was, he said, look, whether you have a contingency or you don't have a contingency, you still have a duty to investigate. And your job is to advise your client to do the investigation, right? So one of the things that he, one of the examples that he uses is a property up in Northern California that had a well. It had septic and it had a well. Okay. And VA was going to require that they do a septic test and that they do a, or, you know, a, a pump insert on the septic and that they do a, a certification on the well that it be tested and certified. Because the, the seller didn't want that done, the, buy, the, 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 the agent representing the buyer, right, what we call the selling agent, the selling agent came back and said, we're going to go with FHA because they're not going to require this. Okay, so they went with it. 
Turns out years later, the the wife and the daughter have cancer. Ah, uh, yeah. They go back and they have the well tested, and it has it has levels of arsenic in in the water that were that date back right to before they when they owned the property. Yeah. And these people are literally dying because of somebody wanted to somebody wanted to 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 cut a corner. Somebody wanted to take a shortcut because they wanted to get paid faster. Right. Okay. And they didn't want this deal to go sideways because mm -hmm. if they had found arsenic in the well water, not that the agent knew, but if they had found that, they wouldn't have ended up buying. Right. They would right. have had to go buy something else and it would have taken longer for that agent to get paid. Yeah. And so he's literally, I mean, one of the things that he does in this, in this um, seminar is he says, look, there's a down payment that's required on everything but VA loans, except for 100% conventional loans, right? But there's a there's a down payment re required on every loan except VA. Sure. And he literally says, let me show you what a down payment is. And he shows them a film, a video of a C-130 with the with the cargo with the cargo tail down yeah. and there's a, there's a there's a number of marines that are carrying a flag draped coffin off of that C130 that is your down payment ladies and gentlemen yeah. okay i mean big time and it really rattles these people and need and they need it kevin they need it they need to get woken up they need to be shook so that they can get back to the place where it's not about making a fast buck. It's about taking the best care of your client you possibly can. It, it can't be about the money. And, and when it is, you know, whenever I have a, a new agent come to me and they say, you know, I'm going to make a million dollars my first year. And I'm just shaking my head going, you ain't going to make it right. Mm -hmm. Because you can't, you can't do this because of the money. It's not, it's not it. I've worked for free a lot, right? I always tell people like, I give a lot to charity. I just like to pick my own charity, sure. right? You know, that kind of thing. Um, but, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, the people that are in it for the money, and, and you said something a second ago, statistically, more than half of our licensees have had a license less than five years. Yeah. Statistically. So they don't know any different market. They don't know. They don't yeah. know what happened in 03. They don't know what happened in 05. You know, they don't know what happened in 09. You know, the, the, the different things that were going on. And and unfortunately, 60% of them haven't done a deal in a year, haven't done a transaction. And so it just amazes me. You know, I, I don't know. We always have the, you know, my wife and I always had, she's a broker, by the way. She was one of my best students, uh, actually, uh, you know, strangely <laughs> enough. Um, you know, we didn't get together until way after grades were out. I said, what did you get in school? She goes, I got an A. I said, did you earn it? She goes, you gave it to me. And I went, yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> but it was months later. But, you know, we we have that conversation uh, back and forth about, uh, you know, what your motivation levels are. I mean, yeah. you know, we're we're not motivated by by money. We don't care. We, I love the smiling face, right? I love the, the kids and, and and the people that that just you know really appreciate your story and you know what i'm saying you know yeah. because you know you, they really appreciate what you do so what do, what do you do do you do you work with somebody that like me that's been in the business for 44 years or do you work with somebody that just got their license six months ago it's kind of like the brain surgeon right you know right. do i work with somebody who's using the stuff from 44 years ago or do we work with someone who's got the brand new technique that kind of thing so yeah. uh 
Um, me, I'm good with change. I mean, I love change, right? Every time they change the forms, you know, we lose a couple hundred people in San Diego, get out of real estate, right? And we don't know you got out of it until four years later when your license renewal comes up. You know, in, in other states where I'm licensed, it's only two years, right? So we pretty much know you're gone, you know, fast. But uh, it just amazes me that a little change like the form, and I'm, I'm getting ready to do my own little uh, uh, webinar or podcast, whatever you call it, uh, on, on the new forms, because the new forms are coming out. You know, mm -hmm. one form, one of the forms they are not changing is the buyer representation agreement. They have no reason to touch it, even after the Burnett case. They have right. no reason to touch it. And so it's like, because they did a great job. I, I mean, I love the form. Um, and so... But those are the kinds of things that that you know you need to be current. I'm I'm going to be doing my own little thing. I'm going to break each paragraph down, um, and and uh, you know if I don't you know blow everybody's mind. But but I remember I was teaching a class at UCSD about. 20 years ago. And I, I got stuck in a, a closet with a guy uh, by the name of Barry Fish. I've never forgotten this guy, but UCSD said, you know, you know, these things so well, will you, will you dictate them to um, a video, uh, an audio, not even a video, right. To an audio so that the students can listen to them later. And so I sit in this closet, I, I, I joke about it, but I had this, you know, screen in front of me that had the form and I'm talking about, you know, why, where, when to use it, things like that. Right. And so this, this is 20 years ago and and here's barry over here looking against the he's looking at the wall his wall and he's got this big monitor with this little sine wave going on so every time i said something it, it would it would you know move around and so he was taping everything again that was when audio was big and so car got a hold of it and they go that's really cool we're going to go ahead and we're going to create a form a program called forms advisor and forms tutor and and this is like real estate agents get a clue forms advisor tells you it came out of that that closet so to speak but you know forms advisor tells you you know it asks you a series of questions which is what we've got to get good at right we got to start asking questions and right. then it tells you based on your answers you know that's that's a AI, right? That's your artificial intelligence. And it tells you what forms to use. Mm -hmm. And then forms tutor comes along and tells you how to fill them out. Yeah. I just think it's brilliant. I mean, it's just really brilliant. And so, uh, and and we have these resources available to us and people never use it. I, I do talks and I say, have you ever used forms advisor, forms tutor? And they go, what's that? And I go, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, but we have these things and it's like, you know, you should be excited. Where I, I, when I got started, we had blue books, right? You would, you would go through the books and, and, and you had what, eight to a page and it was newspaper print and, and you'd set up appointments for people to show property. Your hands are just black with ink, right? And, and then that. they wouldn't, and then they didn't show up. I yeah. mean, you're like, you're issuing warrants, you know, you got a hitman going out. It's like, you, what do you mean you didn't show up? Uh, today, I think a lot of it's too easy. But at the same time, I think that uh, that we can do things faster today, but we also have to be good at what we do. And I think that's the part that a lot of people miss is that you really have to be good at what you do, be the source of the source, not the source. Right. So you said it, you know, in a different way just a few minutes ago. It's mm -hmm. like, I'll find out and I'll, then I'll send you there. Right. So, sure. you know, seven, five, five, nine, three, one, three people say, what's that? I say that's city of Del Mar planning and zoning. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Call him up and see if you can build a two story house there. Right. Because they're going to tell you. OK, so but, you know, they say, how do you remember all these numbers? I said, well, I don't know. It's a number I call pretty frequently. So, you know, it's uh, it's a good thing. But 
but you know our job is to be professional and when i'm in court you know the 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 plaintiff's counsel loves to put you know in in 10 inch letters up on the powerpoint for the jury to see the professional you know because now they're trying to pick at the professional and trying to you know prove that they weren't so professional but i, I don't know why i don't always have that conversation in a listing appointment right you know why, why don't they think i'm a professional then you know it's a, for me it's a little bit different i i think they know that by the time i get there that they're probably you know it's over you know they're, they're going to be fine but uh, we got to get good at what we do and it's not i, I have to agree with with a gal i was talking to the other day who says that we really shouldn't be labeled as salespersons you know mm -hmm. even though we are um her 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 statement was we really should label them as as uh, facilitators um some states do by the way some states don't call them real estate agents some states don't have salespersons licenses they only have brokers license utah right. you know you don't get a sales you got a broker right um west virginia i'm getting a broker's license there you can't, you have to be a broker associate in West Virginia, unless you live there for the last seven years, and then you can be a broker. It's just amazing the different things, but those are all safeguards that are built in to try to protect uh, the community, which is, yeah. I think, uh, paramount for all of us. It really should be. Um, you well, know, we, should be the, we should be the protectors of the community. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Um, I'm thankful that, that I don't know a whole lot of people get up in the morning and say, I can't wait to see who I'm going to stick today, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, but I'm sure there are people like that. Uh, you know, I, I usually, I'm usually trying to defend them in some way, but some cases I just don't take. I, mean, it's yeah. just, I don't blame you. Yeah. I, it, to me, it comes down to your priorities yeah. and it comes down yeah. to, you know, and this conversation we had yesterday was about literally about protecting the consumer and yeah. And you, you got to, you know, you mentioned the $77,000 condo. I got a call from a gal several years ago now, but I got a call from her and she said, um, she said, I'm, I'm wondering if you can help me. And I said, sure, I'll be happy to help you. And she said, yeah. well, don't you want to know how much the the purchase price is or the list price is? Or the cost? I said, no, I don't care anything about that. What, you know, how can I help you? Right. And it was a condo in Escondido that was on the market for $80,000, a little one bedroom, one bath in a rough area. Okay. And she's a single, she's a single gal. Right. And so we had a conversation about, are you sure this is an area you want to move to? I understand the payments less here than it is down the street, you know, for the one that's $120,000, but this is, you know, this is a rough area. I don't know if this is necessarily somewhere you want to live. Right. And so we had a conversation about, are you sure? Okay. And really what it boiled down to was, we got her some information on what the crime rates were in those areas. Okay. And I had her call the police, the police department. I had her talk with somebody that I knew and she had a conversation with them and afterwards she was good. Okay. And so we end up putting in the offer. We end up getting her the condo. She closes on the condo. We, we maybe three weeks later, four weeks later, I get a phone call out of the blue from this gentleman. And he says, you don't know me, but I'm her dad. Oh, wow. And I just wanted to call and thank you because I'm on the East Coast running a Fortune 500 company. Okay. Wow. He said, I just wanted to call and thank you for helping my little girl because I didn't, I don't know anything about real estate. I don't know anything about California real estate. And I certainly don't know anything about real estate in Escondido. Right. And he goes, I know she, I know she bought a place in a rough area. And he goes, I cannot thank you enough for, for taking the time and the extra effort and the diligence to put her in touch with somebody that could talk to her about crime and talk to her about safety and talk to her about that area in particular. Right. And, you know, that always, that's the kind of thing that 
I've always encouraged people in our industry to do. It's not about the zeros. It's not about the numbers. It's about the people. You know, it's about taking, because that, that person that calls you, male, female, whatever, that's somebody's son. That's somebody's grandson. That's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's granddaughter. You know what I mean? That's somebody's niece or nephew. That's the way you want to look at this. You want to look at this in terms of, yeah, I know a whole lot more than most people do about real estate. I know more than most people do in our industry about real estate because of the, the dirt that I chewed and the experience that I've had and the things that I've done. It doesn't make me better. It just makes me better qualified to be able to sit and have a conversation with them. And my frame of reference is I got into this business because I got turned down for a home loan. Okay. Wow. And the very first home loan I ever got approved, Kevin, was the first month I was in the business. And that loan had been turned down by eight different lenders. And wow. if we hadn't gotten that thing approved when we did, those people would have lost their dream home they were building in Fallbrook to foreclosure. Okay. Wow. When I called them to let them know that their loan was approved, they both were on the phone and they were crying. They couldn't even talk. Wow. You can't put a price tag on that. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? There's no way. And so the thing that I want people to understand is it's about the people. It's not about... Like one of my least favorite things that I hear all the time is here's the real estate hack. Here's the way to hack this. And here's the way to hack. You know what? We're not in a hacking business. We're in a business of making dreams come true. And we're in a business of protecting people. Right. It's that yeah. simple. Yeah. No, I'm with you hundred uh, percent. I, I always tell people, I say, you know, okay, well, let's forget about the money for a minute. Realize that for every deal that you do, there are three, right? Mm -hmm. And if you think about it that way, cause then they have the, you know, the other people coming in and the people you, you do you, every, every opportunity that you have like that is a customer relationship opportunity. You know, are you taking good care of that person? Cause they're going to tell other people. Now, if you're just in, you know, make the money quick and get out, then, you know, and, and what is it? 88% of the people, the NAR ran a, a national association of realtors ran a, a, a survey um, and they interviewed people that had, uh, um, you know, why didn't you use the realtor that you used to purchase the home to sell your home? And 88% of them says, we don't know who they are. We, we yeah. don't remember them, never heard from them again. And, yeah. and so, you know, and I talked to real estate agents, well, why didn't you, why didn't you just call them up and say, hi, how you doing? How's the house going? Well, cause they were really angry, right? You know, the furnace wasn't working or something like that. And so you, you like took it personal. Well, you, you can't take it personal. You, you are there to help them. So right. it's not about you it's about you know helping them with stuff and so so because you never called them back i mean yeah. ugh, it just it just amazes me I, I i sold a house to a guy and i'm guilty right sold a house to a guy in tucson his name is robert franklin shield and so i don't know if you're you may not be old enough to remember the judge judge wapner remember that mm -hmm. judge wapner. yeah yeah well, people's he, court <laughs> yeah yeah he was the other guy this was yeah. the other judge and oh. so uh i remember that uh um he was an actor, right? And he was good. And I'll never forget because, you know, at that point, you know, that location, you would have your title and, and escrow were the same company. And so we would all meet in the room, you know, the buyer would come in, the seller would come in, all the guns are checked at the door, right? This is Tucson, Arizona. So mm -hmm. everybody's packing. And so, uh, you know, we check the guns at the door, buyer, uh, the uh, seller finishes all their stuff, they leave and the buyer's in there and he looks at his loan document, it's just me and him and his wife, lovely wife, and, and uh, the escrow, uh, Pat Cochran, 
and I've never forgotten her. And, and, and he just goes off and, and it's like, what's wrong? He says, the interest rates went up a half a point. Now, now I don't do loans, right? I mean, I, I teach real estate finance at the college level, but I wouldn't do a loan on a dare. I mean, that's, that's for professionals to do the professional job on a loan. Escrow does escrow, title does title, lender does loans, you know, that kind of thing. I'm just the orchestrator of the, of the whole thing. And right. so he's going off on this half a point thing. And, and, he, and he says, ah, and he signs all the papers and she signs everything. He slams the pen down. He storms out of the room. I was crushed. I mean, I had spent so much time with this guy and I thought we were like really close and he just goes right off in the room. And so Pat turns to me and she goes, he's a pretty good actor, isn't he? And you know what? I, I felt bad for myself at that point because I felt like I'd been had, right? I'd only been in the business a couple of years and I, and I hadn't had that experience where somebody who's a professional actor and he did a great job. He didn't care. He called me for months, you know, can you come over and have dinner with us and all these kinds of things? Because we were, we were really good friends. And, and uh, I felt so bad about how he made me feel mm -hmm. rather than thinking more about how he felt. And I really needed to do that. And, and to this day, I regret that I did not do that I, I turned my whole life around after that and and so you know i stay in communication with clients and stuff like that i assure you most of my clients remember me i'm not among the 88 percent. so i don't know if it's i'm charming or what but uh, you know i just uh i love my clients i don't know you have you've had that same experience yeah so nar so nar did a study i just worked with a client the other day that i've had for 26 years yeah right and you know, NAR did a study, another study, and what they, and they studied, they literally surveyed people that had closed escrow. And they said, it would you use the, 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 the realtor that represented you on the purchase? Right. right. And they said, 88% of them said, yes. Yeah. 15% of them actually used him. And they said, yeah. why the difference? And they said, because they didn't stay in touch with us. Yeah. They just dropped off the face of the earth after we closed. Yeah. What a shame. It, it it creates, you know, it's, you know, buying and selling a home, Mike, and, I'm, and, and you know what I'm saying. It's a, it's a stressful event. It's, it's tense. Uh, you know, it's try court. <laughs> it's tense for everybody, right? right. Except for the, the actors, you know, the lawyers, but uh, you know, it's a tense event. So you have to understand that people's emotions are running high. You need to be there for that you know, not blowing it off. And and so, you know, I, I have this pet peeve about disclosures in California. You know, you know, they we we get disclosure, we're the buyer's agent. We get disclosures. We give them to the transaction coordinator and have the transaction coordinator send them to the, the buyer to sign. That is wrong on a number of levels, right? So, you know, what what what's your defense to that? Well, I just send it, you know, they said told if they had any questions, give me a call. That's not going to be a good defense, right? You you need to go over those with the client. You need to spend time on the RPA, on the on the purchase agreement, clearly the disclosures. If you're gonna get hauled into court, it's gonna be a disclosure issue. Yeah. You know, the TDS, first thing I do, transfer disclosure statement. I go through the TDS. I'm always looking for something in the TDS that's not done right. You know, you, they didn't check the box, yes or no, the above or not working in operating condition, right? Or thing, or or my favorite is you know, the second page paragraph, uh, page two, paragraph C, where it just says, no, 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 all the way down. Well, I know you didn't read it because half of that you can't answer no to, right? right. Half of it is going to have to be a yes, yeah, right? Which one so, is it, uh, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, so I always, you know, I, so I'm sitting here thinking, okay, did the real estate agent go over 
the document with the client and say, you sure you, are you sure that that's the answer? So like we added the word mold to paragraph C1. Um, we added it years, the, the legislative body did because they created the TDS. Um, and they added the word mold. So you can't say no to paragraph number one because right. mold is everywhere. And right. so I tell my clients and the client says, well, yeah, you know, there's mold, I guess. You know, I said, listen, you, you know, I have a, a graduate certificate in hazardous materials. I know what mold is, but I always say to them, I say, do you know the difference between mold and mildew? And they go, uh, no, I go, that's why we don't call it mold. You know, it's a stain, right? That's all it is. And so they, uh, it's just interesting to me and, and real estate agents all the time. Uh, and I, I'm always very thankful for the ones that actually want to learn things, right? And th those are the ones that are the best. It's the ones that know everything that are, are usually going to create the most problems. So, yeah. um, uh, but you know, we, we all have our, our style and, and, uh, you know, God knows I love what I do and, and, uh, I'm able to help people. So it's all good. Yeah, that's cool. So let me ask you a question. Sure. Is there anything you'd like to cover before we wrap up? I know I'm watching your clock. <laughs> I figured, where did that hour go? <laughs> I cannot thank you enough for doing this. I really, oh, no. I really thank you. I, you know, I'm, I'm a typical lawyer, you know, put a microphone in my mouth and I'm off to the races. So oh, wow. uh, um, anything in particular, um, take care read i mean read the document you know when, when you're in a real estate transaction you really need to ask questions uh, don't get rushed through anything you know, or everything you know take the time and with the client you should spend time when i talked to the department of real estate about the rpa for example they said 16 pages you know and and yet i know people that just send it and just say here sign it right it's like did you go over with them so now we have like the technology you're using right here you know we have the technology to to video conferencing there there are um, there's so many of those where I can sit down with a client, they can see it on their screen, I can see what they're looking at on my screen. And it's like, uh, you know, okay, paragraph number one, you know, of course, I get into, you know, we call that the recitals, that's the linking part of the document to the other. So but, but, you know, do you, you know, can we go through that, do you, you know, and then read it to them or whatever. And then my favorite course is liquidated damages. I love that. And it's in bold print for a reason, right? We really shouldn't be explaining it, because it really has huge legal consequences. So the client says to me says uh, well what does it mean and i and i say i don't know well i i clearly know but i say well let's read it together right and so i'm better reading upside down probably like you you know better reading upside down than right side up and so i'll just go through it with them and they'll look at me and they'll go oh i get it you know because if you actually read it but but i i don't i don't know how many people i've met in my career that have actually read the paragraph right uh, and, if, and if you read it it doesn't apply to all situations and so somebody asked me the other day should should I initial liquidated damage? And I said, well, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, you're the buyer or the seller. Well, you're the buyer. Okay. So, so if it's a declining market, liquidated damages protects you in the event of a free fall, right? If it goes from a million to 500,000, because you know, you would, you're only limited by uh, 3% of the purchase price or the deposit actually paid. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, if the, it's an improving market, market's going up. Now I know I'm going to probably generate a whole bunch of lawsuits, but but market's <laughs> going up. Why would you initial it, right? right. If you're the buyer, I mean, right. you just wrote a blank check. And mm -hmm. so I, I tell people, have that honest conversation with a client. Now, unfortunately, as real estate agents, we're, we're trained everywhere there's a place to initial, they should initial. I don't know that that's 100% appropriate. But, but most there's of some brokerages that require it to be initial. Yeah. yeah. There's some brokerages that will not pay you your commission check if it's not initial. And yeah. so, because their attorneys have told them, this is our advice. This is what we're advising you to do. So right. yeah, it's something, it's definitely something that they need to be talking about and they need to have a frank conversation with it. By the way, 
just real quick, if the TDS says that the septic used to work, maybe order a certification. Yeah. A pump and cert, right? If it says it used to work. <laughs> yeah, I, I would think that would be a good idea. I, I think that's a message that it's not working currently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I, I sold a house for a guy and I really liked the guy, but he, he really had no choice. I, I was a court pointed sale. I, I had to sell it. And this guy is a four bedroom, one bath house. And he, and he knew enough to take the toilet. Can you say toilet uh, commode biffy? Uh, right. He takes the biffy out, puts it in the backyard. So this house has no toilet. Right. Because right? he knew you couldn't get financing on the house if you didn't. You had to have at least a working toilet in the house. Right. I just thought, wow, these are some of the most amazing people. And, and, he, and he thought of that. And I go, well, that's really good. I sold the house anyway. Right. But, yeah. you know, the guy paid cash for it because you weren't going to get a loan because you know, the lenders all want to see at least one toilet, you know, right. working or not, you know, working or not. They want to at least see one. Well, it's in the backyard. <laughs> so, you know, clearly not hooked up to the sewer line uh, it was in national city too it was like oh boy uh, anyway i really like the guy but uh you know, he did some bad things it was too bad so yeah people do that yeah do it's, that. Okay. it's it's you know they um they get angry at the wrong people for the wrong reasons sometimes and yeah they they take i mean that there was a couple in in marietta that did three hundred eighty five thousand dollars worth of damage to a house that they had purchased brand new just a few years prior but they were losing it to the bank and they yeah. filled the toilets full of concrete and they did all kinds of just awful, awful things. Took a sledgehammer to a bunch of stuff and they were actually in our business. She was a, she was a realtor and he was a lender licensed, licensed. And they went yeah. to Well, that's criminal Chris, by the way, because yeah. that's destruction of the security interest. The collateral. So, yeah. Yeah. The collateral. So, yeah. yeah. So it's a year of law school, by the way, which yeah. I don't, I don't recommend going to law school just to get that. I can tell it to you in a sentence, but uh, um, yeah, that's criminal. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, the, the the lender didn't do that to you. The house didn't do that to you. You just got into a bad spot and, and, and it happens. The market, the market shifted and they couldn't, they couldn't recover. And, you know, yeah. you're not, you can't blame, you can't blame the property and you can't blame the buyer and you can't blame the lender. I mean, come on, you know, so. It's amazing the, the number of defaulted properties today. Um, if you if you go into the CRS tax database, you can see like in Carmel Valley, there's like 16 homes that are, you know, upside down. Yeah. Um, and, and that's easy enough information. Notices of default have been filed, you know, things like that. So uh, we have a bankruptcy attorney in our office who's a broker um, with uh, our with our office. And uh, and he says, I haven't seen this many, uh, you know, short sale opportunities in a very long time. So the market is changing again, but it's always going to be that, Mike. Right. I mean, you know where where are we happiest i mean i don't know at the top of the bell curve no you know our market is always moving and we're always moving with it because you have to if you're going to be good at what you do you've got to be able to adjust quickly and so yeah, and, and you've got people that want to buy houses you got people who want to sell houses take good care of everybody they'll tell everybody they know right so yeah we just we just had one the other day and it's a lady that was referred to me by the ghost writer for my books i'm writing three books and i start the first one in fact, I want to interview you for my home ownership book. Um, and I've got another one that I'm writing for realtors that I want to interview you for too. But um, we start uh, month after next. We start January of 2024. And he sent this lady to me. And she's a single mom. Um, she's trying to hold on to her property. She's having a rough time, having a rough time with the lender, all that kind of thing. So I got involved with it and started helping her, kind of coaching her, right? There isn't any commission in here. Okay. It's yeah. not like I'm being paid. I'm not, 
I'm literally just trying to advise her. And the other day she sent me a, a text message and said, you know, God is good. And I said, okay, this is, I agree with this. What's up, right? And she said that the California uh, mortgage relief, California mortgage relief had given, had given her a grant to catch her mortgage up. And so she's oh, not going to lose her house to foreclosure. Wow. And, you know, she's a, she's a stage four cancer patient right now and single mom, three boys, you know, there's just a lot going on in her world. Yeah. And now the mortgage part of it has been handled. And, you know, that's what we're, that's what we're entering here is we're entering a, a really rough time for some people because, the the economy has had to be slowed down. There have been a lot of layoffs. There have been a lot of things that have happened that it's a ripple effect, right? And it has an impact on people's lives. I had a conversation the other day. One of my assistants called a, a gentleman that was on the NOD list. And all we were doing was reaching out to try to help. And he called me up and he, he told her, he goes, I know, Mike, I'll call him. So he calls me up. He used to work with us in the mortgage business a long, long time ago. 20 years ago. And he was able to get his loan modified through the California, through the um, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB, through their ombudsman office. Right. I didn't know much about the ombudsman office. I learned a ton from him the other day. Exactly. And so one of the things that I'm recommending to people is, listen, if you're having a tough time getting a loan modification, because if you go to your bank, right, if you go to your customer service department, if you go to them, they're going to modify it if it's in the best interest of the owner of the loan, not you. They don't work for you. They work for that, that bank or that lender, right? The investor is what we call them. And so they work for them. They're not in this deal for you. But the ombudsman office is more of an independent third party, okay? Right. There's another organization called NACA, N-A-C-A, NACA.com. We just had Bruce Marks, the founder, on uh, the other day on our podcast, and Bruce and I have quite a history together. We started working together back in 2011 and his organization and, and me volunteering with my radio show, we've saved hundreds of homes in San Diego and in LA from foreclosure. Yeah. So there are, there are solutions. And part of the reason we're writing the book on, on home ownership is we want people to understand there's deed and lieu thereof. There are short sales. There are, there are all kinds of different options, different things you can do bankruptcy, Right. And you can recover from these things. It's not the end of the world. Right. There are people out there right now. And you know this, Kevin, there are people out there right now that owned a home, lost it, went bankrupt, had all kinds of awful things happen. And they now own a house again. Yeah. Okay? yeah. There are ways to do it and your FICO score will recover. So what we're doing with this book that we're starting to write month after next is we're literally taking the case to millennials as to why homeownership needs to be part of the American dream again. Right. Okay? right. According to the National Association of Realtors, the average homeowner, average homeowner nationwide, their net worth is over $300,000. Right. The average tenant's net worth is less than 8,000. Right. You take that $292,000 Delta, multiply it by tens of millions of millennials that have PTSD because of the great recession. Sure. And all of a sudden our three quarters of the nation's net worth is real estate our standard of living in this country is at risk, right? It's at risk. And how are these kids, these millennials that are now having babies, how are they going to send their kids to college? How are they going to be able to afford to do those things? Yeah. If they Too don't sure. own a home, right? 
So I'm just crazy enough to believe that I can drive a national narrative with this book uh, and take the case directly to millennials with this book as to why they need to own a home. Sure. It's the rent versus buy analysis. Uh, you know, it, my office was on Camino Del Mar, right? So I was right on the main drag. Uh, and we had a little flyer stands. We had the $5 million house. And I always listen. The, the one flyer I couldn't keep on the stand was the one that says, why rent when you can buy, mm-hmm. right? And it was like, because nobody wants to be rent. But politically, we know that the majority of people in California today are renting. We look at housing affordability issues are... are Dismal. I mean, it's just in San Diego, you know, I got interviewed in 2001 by Fox News uh, asking me because uh, affordability had dropped down to 26 percent in San Diego. Um, you know, we've seen it go the other way. We've seen it come back down again. And they said, can it get worse? And I said, well, take a look at San Francisco. They're at 16. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, today they're not even in this in the double digits. They're right. at nine and six. Yeah. Um, affordability has just become a real problem. And and you know what? The current economy is really not doing much to it. it it's still it's still an issue and so i think we need to figure out ways for people to be able to afford to own there's the pride of ownership and all of that um and and uh, i'm with you i mean i'm 100 on that i just think that that we should help people you know get get housing it's important and, and i think a lot of it has to do there's a lot of you know in 03 the 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 low end had completely stopped selling and we never knew it and if you remember and you do remember it that that housing affordability was at an abysmal low and so so entry level it, they just stopped they mm-hmm. couldn't afford it anymore because the prices kept going up out of control well the high end continued to sell so mm-hmm. we we didn't realize that the low end had stopped until August of 2005 mm-hmm. and in August of 2005 this high end stopped selling and we realized Oh wait a minute! We you know we the move up housing doesn't exist anymore because the low end stopped two years earlier, and that's when everything started crashing, right? And we just went, and then they were doing foreclosures, and we're you know drinking water out of a fire hose, and so um, you know it got it got really ugly. And I ran a foreclosure department for a, a good sized brokerage in Tucson, and it was all I could do back in, in the early '80s. All I could do to try to help these people sell their home before the bank got it. And the banks, they never talked to you about short sales. What was that, right? It was foreclosed. I did a lot of stuff for free because, you know, I did just there wasn't any room to pay me on things. I wasn't worried about it. I was helping people. But you look today, you know, the, the banks are given incentives to do short sale. I think people should not be losing homes. I just don't think it's right. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and, and so banks have incentives. There's a lot of incentives. There's how much they got to keep in reserves changes. You know, if they do a foreclosure, they got to put more money in reserves than if they just do a short sale and, you know, things like that. So I think you're, you're, you're absolutely spot on. There's a lot of great opportunities for people to get home ownership but then also not to lose home ownership. And right. I think that I, I hate to think anybody having to go through that. A short sale is much better than a foreclosure. Yeah. Uh, less less hit on your credit. You're buying a house fast again. I sold a house to a couple that had had a VA foreclosure nine months earlier. Mm-hmm. And, and this was back in the 80s. Um, and and But they had lived in Cleveland, Ohio. And, and so they told her, you're going to die if you stay here. And not because it was Cleveland, but because it was cold. Mm-hmm. And so she moves to Tucson, Arizona. And, and they'd have the house got foreclosed on back in Ohio. And I got them another house. So you know, you know, we're here to help people. And I don't think there can be no, there cannot be a no answer anywhere. We, we've got to help them, even though maybe, you know, others have said, you can't do that. Remember moving out of your house when you're 14? You know, mm-hmm. other people said, well, you can't do 
that. I go, whoops, I forgot. I'm paying it back today. I mean, yeah. that's my whole thing. The last 25 years, I've been paying it back because people helped me. I can give you names of people that helped me in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, and I just feel like I owe a debt. Uh, and I owe the debt to the real estate community. I think I owe a debt to buyers and sellers. And so I just take it from that point. It's uh, from a position of gratitude, right? And that's what I do too. You know, I, one of the things that happened in the last 31 years that I've been doing this plus is I had people that popped up as mentors and they would pull me aside when they didn't have the time. They'd pull me aside and say, you're going at this all wrong. Go this way. Right or you're doing this the wrong way. Here's what the way you need to do it. And so I believe it's paying it forward. And right. so a big part of doing this, this, this podcast that we're doing and writing the books we're doing is I'm looking to pay it forward. I'm looking to try to help anybody that I can help, however I can help them. Right. And so it's a, it's a big part of it. And it's in honor, quite honestly, of the people that, that can't, that are not here anymore. You know, my grandfather, uh, we lost him in 2007. My grandfather was a huge, huge influence in my life. And, you know, Joe McCarroll was a huge influence in my life. Joe was a broker here in Escondido. Uh -huh. And when he didn't have to do it and he didn't have the time, he pulled me aside and changed my life. And I told Alan Nevin the other day, I said, Alan, you changed my life. You don't know it. You don't realize it. But let me tell you how you changed my life, buddy. And I went through the whole thing and he got a little emotional. You know, wow. he and I are really good friends now. Yeah. And he's been a regular on my radio shows. And now he's, you know, we've been on, he's been on a podcast twice and has a new book out, by the way, that everybody should read called The Next Half Century. It is yeah. absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this is about, this is about taking care of people and paying it forward for me. And I cannot thank you enough, Kevin, for being on here with me. Um, I'm completely, totally honored and humbled you were here, and I cannot thank you enough for your time. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm honored to be here. I very much appreciate, uh, you know, you never knew would have known you, but you asked, and I'm happy if I could have, you know, spread some kind of cheer for somebody out there that uh, hopefully will now think about buying rather than renting. I think that's I know you helped a lot of people, and you helped thank me. Thank you so much. Thank I you, I appreciate Mike. you, buddy. You're awesome. Thank you, sir. Take care. Thanks All again. Right. Take care now. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.